Hi, I'm Praveen Penmetsa. I'm the CEO and co-founder at Monarch Tractor. And I beat the often path by working on an electric smart tractor, one that makes our planet food ecosystem more sustainable and also the farmers more profitable. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unusual success stories. Beat the Often Path is a play on words of off the beaten path. We showcase people who took the road less traveled and, well, you know, beat it. They did better than the traditional trajectory. And my guest today, Praveen Penmetsa, did that for sure. He is the CEO of Monarch Tractor, all-electric driverless tractors that are going to revolutionize the way all commercial farming takes place. The importance of Praveen's work cannot be overstated as the very future of humanity depends on developing smarter solutions to managing our farmland and defeating at least twice as many people as we have now. Praveen has gotten over $80 million in funding for his company so far, and his personal story is just so inspiring. Learn how he left India to come to the United States, where his talent for engineering led him to building a number of exciting products and projects, ultimately leading to him creating this game-changing new company that is truly going to change how farming takes place around the world forever. When you learn what these tractors can do, you'll be as blown away as I was. So here is Praveen Penmetsa of Monarch Tractor. Well, welcome, Praveen. Thank you so much for joining me. I cannot wait to hear your story. Thanks for having me here, Ross. It's very exciting. Very rare do I get to talk with somebody when I look at their website and it looks like something straight out of a sci-fi movie. It's staring into the future to visit monarchtractor.com. These things are wild. It's an autonomous, self-driving, AI-powered tractor, battery-powered, hot swappable. You can swap the battery out, put in another one. The, the list of features is insane. So give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself and how you came up with this idea, how you got to this very cool business idea. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ross. And again, right, sometimes I have to pinch myself as well. <laughs> and I've been very fortunate in having uh, a, an opportunity to work on everything from like electric cars, electric skateboards, all the way to electric uh, autonomous aircraft. But one thing that, uh, you know, has kind of come to the realization is this tractor that we are working on is the most important project uh, that I've, I've ever worked on. And not only that, I believe that the tractor is actually the most important vehicle on the planet, right? It's the tractor that's allowed us to kind of grow our food ecosystem. So having started off in engineering as a mechanical engineer working on cool robots and electric cars back in the early 2000s, my journey has kind of taken me through meeting a lot of exciting people, companies, both startups as well as large companies. And then eventually I found my life coming back to a full circle because, you know, I come from a long uh, generation of rice farmers back in India who got the fast car bug and moved to America. Yeah, I read and, that in your bio. <laughs> you yeah, fast cars, so we had to move to the United States. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when I was growing up, uh, there, were no, there were no fast cars in India. So, you know, to come back reason. to that full circle and work with farmers again here is something that... Uh, you know, uh, I think my dad is also very proud of that I'm, I'm back in farming. I believe that. And for those who are just joining in, at the beginning of this, before we got on the call, he said, sorry, I'm a few minutes late. I was just on my tractor in a vineyard in California. <laughs> and that's the pinch himself moment on a Monday morning. That's pretty nice on a day like today. I'm a few hours south of you, I think, but it's still a pretty nice day. 
Yeah, it's a fantastic day. First thing on a Monday morning to be on a vineyard in California, running a tractor up and down, right? It's, uh, it's the greatest thing ever. So cool. And looking at the features of this tractor, again, it can sense things. It can do things that I didn't even believe were possible. You have a screenshot on your website that shows it identifying plants. I believe it's in a vineyard. And somehow it's able to tell which plant is which number. Is that automatic or is there a chip in each plant? How does it know what's where? And that's the beauty of our smart electric tractor, Ross, is the fact that because uh, we have cameras on the tractor, And some of the smart features on the tractor, which allow us to remove the tractor driver from the seat and move him off the seat and away from the tractor and having him manage these things, they're all powered by cameras. So the same cameras that make the tractor autonomous uh, are also used to kind of identify the plants, tag the plants, and then send that data back to the farmer. Again, the the key here is when you're farming acres or even hundreds of or thousands of acres, right? It's very hard to keep an eye on each and every plant, but that's what a farmer has to do. Because if you do not track it, it's going to start in one corner and then you're going to have a big problem very quickly. So I love this, this tractor and what we're doing with the data on it, because having spent a whole lifetime in technology, this one actually makes a lot of sense. I like this idea better than having cameras on your car and telling you when you should get your coffee or what other stuff you should buy, right? Right. Which for me always felt a little disingenuous. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like so many things. It's a combination of things we've seen before, but it's presenting them in a new light. It kind of looks like a drone a little bit. I think the product itself looks a bit like a drone, but bigger. And like you said, it's, it's kind of like what we've come to expect from a Tesla or from other autonomous vehicles. But when you see it put together in that frame, it's really, really hard not to believe that this is the future of farming in general. So before we get into what is so great about this and why, are there people, do you think, that are going to be upset about technology like this, age-old uh, tractor drivers who say you're replacing jobs, that kind of thing? Are there people who are not so supportive of the shift to an autonomous tractor? Um, there's always going to be some kind of a challenge when we are talking about technology changes, right? So um, even simple things that we now take for granted when they first came out, whether it's a TV or even the radio or electric power, right? I can keep going back <laughs> in time. Of course. They all have their share of, uh, of naysayers at the beginning. But also we have to keep in mind, Ross, that the farmers have a big challenge these days. What, one pushback that we are not getting from is the farmers, Uh, You know, we have gotten universal endorsement from everybody from farm owners to the tractor drivers themselves, because if if you actually drove a tractor in these kind of like, you know, uh, fruits and vegetables uh, kind of farms, you're exposed to the chemicals, you're exposed to the harsh uh, weather, like in California, in central California, farmers, uh, the tractor drivers have to be inside these hot cabs working from very often like 4 a.m. to like all the way till sundown and sometimes night, all night operations. So this is not the greatest job from that standpoint. That's also why they are unable to get tractor drivers who actually see a warehouse job or construction as being much more creative. So the farmers have been incredibly supportive. Tractor drivers and equipment operators in agriculture have been incredibly supportive. And that's what is basically powering the company at this point. That's so cool because it frees them up to focus on things that are more enjoyable to do that matter more to them. 
Exactly. And a lot of uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but the average farm worker works around 50 to 55 hours. It's not a 40 hour job. No. Right. They're very often working night and day. And it's a very more, to be challenging environment. Yeah. And that's the average. Right. That's Which the means there are people who are probably doing like more. Yeah, for sure. So how do we give them some relief and how do we kind of, uh, you know, use the technology so that they can focus their effort in certain parts of their farm instead of like doing these dull, dirty, dangerous jobs constantly. And repetitive jobs. So many things that humans just don't enjoy doing. Yep. Machines have no problem with. And it can run all night if it needs to. Not an Exactly. Yep. So getting things done. Yeah, I love the the concept. And again, when you look at it, it's just, it's so clearly what the future will be. And that's why I think you've been able to raise tens of millions in funding because I, I think, is it obvious to everybody that this is the future? Yeah, until we actually showcased it and brought people over and showed them the, the tractor and literally had people, had uh, you know some of the most influential people in the ag world kick the tires of our tractor, people did not believe it was possible, Ross. People even said even electric tractors were not possible, right? So the fact that we built a small, smart electric tractor that almost any farmer in the world can, can afford, right? And deploy that onto their farm was game-changing at that point. But the moment we did it, to answer your question, they all looked at it and immediately clicked, right? That's the reason why we have companies like Case New Holland, which is the world's second largest tractor company, has invested in us. Um, we have Trimble. You know, it's another big agriculture and construction data company. It's another big investor in us. Uh, you know, we have tractor companies from Asia investing in us. So it's like the equipment people and the whole farm uh, uh, ecosystem has completely bought into this. And the moment they said it, they were like, yes, every tractor is going to look like this. And we have farmers investing in us, mm. right? Not only do they say, hey, I want five of your tractors. They're like, hey, you guys are going to be the next big thing. You know, how do I support you? So to answer your question, farmers see it, big ag equipment companies see it. Um, and now I think because of what Monarch has showcased and what the team here has done, we have been able to change the mindset of some of these uh, ag equipment companies, which is uh, our biggest impact to date. So unbelievably cool. I absolutely love that. And when you're bringing data and analytics into the farming process like this, what are some of the general advantages of aggregating that data and bringing it in to farming yeah. in general? Yeah, that's a great question, Ross. And it's something that, you know, I often get from normal consumers, right? It's like, oh, why do I care, you know, uh, about your tractor? And my key point to all of us, right, is we all should care about where our food comes from and how it's grown. These days, we care a lot about the delivery system, right? We're constantly like checking on our DoorDashes and the other delivery apps that we have to say, where is this guy and how is he coming and when is he, when are we going to get the food? But we have no insight into how the food was actually grown on the farm. And let's start, think about this for a second, right? When there's an outbreak of salmonella or something, we take that whole produce from that region off our store shelves and dunk it, right? In yep. this day and age. We have no idea what's happening with our food on the farm and we have no idea how it got to that store shelf. So our tractor not only is going to make farmers more profitable, is going to allow them to be more sustainable, but is also that same cameras that we talked about are going to allow you and me 
to see how the food that we purchased was grown you know throughout its cycle not just once right it's not just a pretty picture of a farm uh, that we are buying into i can actually see what happened when was it planted what was sprayed on it and when was it harvested and uh, and that i think is key and that data is also important because once we get that ross right we are then we evaluate and we are willing to pay more for it right the, the reason we pay more for organic and at farmers markets is we want to hear the story of how the food was grown directly from the farmer and I, our data will allow the farmer to do that yeah we absolutely do i absolutely do it matters to me do you think that in some way it will help farmers reduce the use of pesticides or other harmful parts of the process? Will it assist with that in any way? Absolutely, right? And that's a big part of our sustainability uh, advantages of our tractor. One of the reasons why the farmers are unable to uh, to practice some of these uh, you know, organic methods or regenerative farming methodologies is because each one of those requires even more effort in the farm. So, you know, Right now, farmers are having to choose between going organic and regenerative or being sustainable. And most of us as consumers don't think about that as a hard choice, right? We mm. think they both go together. They're not. Sure. From a farming perspective, if a farmer goes organic, he has to work his tractor more. He has to spray even more chemicals, the good kind, but he still has to do more out in the farm. So which means he's now less sustainable, right? He's put more inputs into the farm. If he goes on the sustainability path, now suddenly, right, he's having to compromise on how he farms. So for the first time with our tractor, the farmer does not have to make that hard choice. He can be organic and regenerative on the farm. And from an ecosystem standpoint, still be sustainable because our smart electric tractor is going to tell him where the issues are. So he can be very pinpointed in his application of either fertilizer or pesticides. Instead of saying, well, I don't know what's happening in the farm and I'm going to spray the whole thing because I don't want to lose my, you know, my yield, right? Our cameras and our data will pinpoint the hot spots so he can be targeted. He or she can be targeted over there. That almost sounds impossible to believe. Your, your tractor can say plant vine 147 has an issue. Go over to that vine, not 298, just 147. And not just that, right? And again, farming is an ecosystem player, Ross. So we don't claim to have all the solutions for all the, the challenges that farmers face. But we see ourselves as a platform. So the fact that we have cameras, the fact that we can collect that data means that other people, experts, right? So for example, we have a partnership with UC Davis, uh, you know, which has a very uh, big ag school here. The students there and the facility, the faculty there can use the data and write applications that say, hey, based on this camera data from Monarch tractors, right? These are some of the things that we can do. So it allows not just us to provide all the solutions, but it allows farmers to have a wider reach of solutions and experts that can really help them. And at the end of the day, I think that's what is going to cause the massive change because uh, there, there's a bunch of things we can do, but we can't solve each and every challenge on the on the farmer's side. But we can really make it easy by being that platform. Well, I'm very disappointed that you can't solve every problem. <laughs> what are we even doing here, Praveen? <laughs> that's You're the magic of you're our only hope as a species. Yeah. We need you yeah. to solve every problem. Uh, obviously, that is a joke. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I can't. No, but I can't Ross, actually, uh, that's a good point, right? Um, you know, I've grown up in India and farming, uh, especially for farmers in Asia, Africa, right? The, their challenges are even more uh, extreme than what uh, farmers face. And not too long ago, like a few months ago, I was in India and it was amazing. I was going through this farmer's market at night. So it only crops up for a few hours. And there's this small farmer. He just had like two bowls of fruit there, right? And he had a small tag up on top with a QR code on it for payment. And that whole market was like that, right? That's a great example of how technology is touching the smallest of farmers is allowing them to be more efficient, right? He now does not have to deal with figuring out the cash side and all of this other stuff that happens with it, right? It's a one QR code. He has a small piece of paper. He sticks it there and boom, right? He now has access to that marketplace. The communication tools means that the farmer can now directly go to the apartment complex where all the people are, right? Let them know on a group chat that he's going to be there every Thursday evening. And now suddenly he can sell his produce directly to the consumer instead of to three other middlemen. So technology platforms are immensely powerful and we see our tractor as one of those platforms that is gonna help the farmer and help the consumer and provide benefits for both. So that's our vision and I'm super excited about what's possible, but it's gonna take all of us working towards it. Absolutely. And I'm sure you have these at the ready, but can you give me a barrage of stats? I know they're on your website, but what are some of the stats you can give us off the top of your head? CO2 saved, fuel saved, anything like that? Blind us with science for a second here. (laughs) Oh, it's all about numbers, right, Ross? Always. Yeah, and uh, farmers are, uh, you know, are very deliberate about their their purchases. So here's here I go. Right, one tractor is equal to fourteen cars worth of emissions. So something for all of us to think about, right? If you deploy one Monarch electric tractor, it's equal to removing fourteen compact cars worth of emissions from the road. Gigantic number. Our tractor can save in California, right, roughly three to five thousand dollars just in diesel savings today, right? And diesel prices have spiked by like sixty percent in the last six months. Huge number of savings. Imagine a tractor that saves you, you know, uh, three to five thousand dollars every year. Mind blowing. Mind blowing. Here's another stat, right? Is our tractor can work for like a full day of operations. That's like nine hours, right? Without needing to recharge for like most farm operations. Here's another fantastic stat. You can swap out our very big battery on our tractor. A single person can, even you, mm-hmm. in under even 10 me. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great qualifier. <laughs> well, I didn't see any two Very easy for your... a normal person, but even I can do it. <laughs> I, I didn't see your tool belt on, Ross, so I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, look at these hands. Not a day of hard work in their life. <laughs> so uh, let me qualify it, right? Even people like you and me can sure. swap out a battery on our tractor in under 10 minutes using our battery swap cart, just like your power tool, right? So swap the battery, plug the next one in, on you go, right? So hugely, hugely, immensely powerful there. Our tractor, again, right, collects 360-degree view of data as we go through the farm. And all of that data is 
given back to the farmer to make them more efficient. So one, the stat that you're looking for here is one tractor driver can operate up to six to seven of our tractors at a time. So they can do more, which means now they can go organic, they can go regenerative and really fill that gap that we oh. talked about uh, at the beginning. So there's some fun stats to start off with. Those are great. And of course, if it's running out of juice, it'll just come back and probably charge itself. It'll go back to a hub and beep, plug it in like a exactly. robot vacuum should do, but never does in reality. <laughs> Not today, but uh, you know, that's one of the things is our tractor will alert you when it's got low power okay. and it'll come back to the barn and you can just plug it in and get it started again. Got it. Or use our swap card to you know, take the cart out there and while stop the tractor for 10 minutes swap the battery and keep it running out there so unbelievable unbelievable now there's a few things we want to get into so the wildfires california specific issues the drought of california i want to get your thoughts on how that's all connected to these larger yeah. issues i shared this in another episode that we recorded but i read a stat recently that for a brief moment in time california was a hundred percent powered by renewable energy for an hour or a couple minutes a few weeks ago or a month ago there was a tiny slice of time where all of the energy needs of the entire state of california were met by renewable sources do you think that's something that's going to happen more and more is energy not so much a concern of ours these days compared to other resources yeah definitely right um you know, in my early days of my, uh, as an engineer, uh, this was in the early 2000s, right? Energy independence was a big deal. Um, you know, in 2005 and 2008, uh, you know, energy security was a big deal. Like, and we actually power not just our cars, but all of this other equipment. And can we, do we have that security where we're not dependent upon other countries? Right. And we have made huge strides towards that uh, as a nation here, Ross. So, uh, similarly, uh, I think what we should also be talking about now, I don't want to change the topic, but we should also be talking about food security. Absolutely. Right. And we should make it a top uh, and center topic and really talk about how can we as a nation be food secure. And for that to happen, we need to support our farmers. You know, again, a farmer buys an electric tractor and he gets zero dollars from the federal government. Right. If That's you or crazy. I buy a Tesla, we get $7,500, right? Maybe not a Tesla anymore, but if you buy an electric car, you get $7,500 of support from the federal government. So we need to really, as, as a society, have a conversation about food security and move that. And food security and energy security are, as you're, uh, and as you're talking about it, right, are linked. The fact that we have done uh, a lot of work on the energy security side, I think really gives us a platform to be now start to work on food security to connect those two things it's because it's all connected it's all related exactly yeah. everything is connected yeah so uh, to your point right you brought up a couple of good points number one uh, and i'm not sure how much of your audience might know this but uh, due to the wildfire risk that california farms face and california faces uh, very often you know the farmers lose uh, access to their power like whenever there's bad conditions or hot conditions and windy conditions, the utilities from a safety standpoint have to turn off the power. What do farmers do when your power is gone? You can't like, uh, you know, uh, stop watering your plants, right? You can't stop operations on your, on, on your farm. And produce has a time element to it, right? If you stop an operation or you can't wait forever, right? You're, you have a 
fixed amount of seasonality and a fixed amount of time to get your operations done on a farm. So we have to provide some support to our farmers. So farmers for the last three or four years have been buying these huge generators because they see that as the only option out. With our tractors, and we are happy to say that we have a grant from California Energy Commission where we're going to talk about how a fleet of our tractors can power some of these farms and maybe even power the grid, right? So those are some of the things that we are working on. The second side is the water side is, again, connected, right? How much power and water we use on our farms is linked to the amount of data that we have on where exactly and precisely do we need to apply our limited water resources. We need data for that. At a time when there's no labor on the farm, where are we going to get this data from? At a time when the farmers are constrained in terms of the amount of money that they have, are they going to buy satellite data and deploy drones to collect all this data? Or is it smarter to have a smart tractor that while it's doing other operations is giving you that data? So the key here is I think the electric smart tractor, I think, has a key role to play in not just the energy independence side of things, but also in allowing us to conserve our resources carefully. And I think now that the electric grid has been shored up to a certain extent, at least the power side, I think it's time to deploy more solar and deploy more Monarch-like tractors. That makes so much sense. And that's a whole category that is maybe the most exciting thing about technology in general is its ability to automate things and do things in a smarter way so that we allocate our resources better. Uh, because it's widely established in my home garden, if I water during the middle of the day on the hottest day, I'm going to lose a lot of water. It's not very smart to do it that way. I could, but I'll lose more water. So using what we have in a smarter way is always going to be the right idea. Exactly. And automating it and the data side provides us more flexibility, right? And more options. You're absolutely Super right. Cool. So on your in your personal life, let's switch gears because I, I think just go to the website, anybody. Go to the website, watch the video. You'll be sold in 35 seconds. That's obvious. Anybody who clicks it is going to be blown away. I guarantee you that. But in your personal life, your story arc appears to exhibit this characteristic that I've noticed from a lot of people who have gone on to do really cool things. And let me explain what I'm talking about. There seems to be a time in a lot of people's personal and career lives where they deviate from what ultimately ends up being their path. And I've read about this in a lot of books. They go off track for a while and then they circle back and come full circle. And in your case, what I notice of that pattern is, like you said, you left India to the U.S. for fast cars, the most consumerist, <laughs> polluting thing possibly. Say, let's go fast. Let's get fast cars. Burning that gasoline. That's the American way. God bless the United States, right? And then from that deviation, you come back to saying, hey, I remember that I come from generations of rice farmers back in India. Maybe we can be bringing some of this tech back into farming. And then you come full circle back and then you do something that you say would make your father proud after going away for it. Is that a fair summary of how you feel that your life has gone? Yeah, that's a, it's amazing that you touched upon it and I never thought about it that way for us. Um, you know, but definitely, I think uh, from a story arc standpoint, right, I'm very fortunate to have been given the opportunities that very few people have to, to embrace the technology to work on some really cool stuff, right? I've been very fortunate in my early part of the career to work on like really crazy fast cars, which allowed me to scratch that itch. 
but also got an exposure to electric vehicle technology, uh, the connected car kind of technology, the electric grid and energy storage systems, right? And for a while, you're absolutely right. I was very focused on building, you know, the fastest electric cars, the fastest electric boats, right? Those are the kind of consumer things. And suddenly got, um, you know, started talking to farmers and farmers were like, hey, you build all these cool robots and cool vehicles. Can you help us with, you know, building a planting robot? Can you help us with an electric tractor so that we can cut down our diesel costs? And I think going back to India, thanks to that USAID funded a project called How Do We Power Agriculture back in 2013. Uh, if our population is gonna like double very quickly, how do we actually grow the food with the limited water resources that we have and the limited energy that we have? That was their big challenge. Coming across that, I think was the pivotal point for me. And for the first time understanding that energy was not just about powering our cars and our houses what goes into our food. And that's what brought me back all the way to agriculture and farming again. And just seeing the challenges that farmers face around the world was eye-opening. And at the same time, very fulfilling to kind of apply all these solutions and cool stuff that we built over there. And now we're building even cooler things that go onto the farm. Uh, so you know, thanks for providing that perspective. I've never thought about it that way but definitely something that I'm super excited about. Well, that's, it's just, it's something that I've noticed. It's just a trend yeah. that I've seen. And it's, I think it's the most beautiful arc. It's one of the best things to, to witness in others is how they end up finding themselves after going on a path that doesn't quite seem related at first, but then it, it all comes full circle. Another trend that I've noticed is the component of travel. Would you say that international travel was key to you developing these insights that would form this part of your career? Most definitely, right? Because, um, you know, I had an opportunity to go to Japan, see the challenges that farmers are facing there. Um, had an opportunity to kind of, you know, look at farms in Europe, you know, again, look at farms in North America and was able to say that all the farmers around the world were struggling with some basic elements, right? All of them were struggling with labor. All of them are struggling to find uh, additional hands, struggling with resources, and uh, struggling with the kind of data that would actually um, make them more money. So being able to see that from a global perspective definitely highlights uh, the, the challenge that we all face as humanity, but also uh, highlights the opportunity that, hey, you know, if we can solve this problem, we can really like solve this problem for everybody. And this is a massive opportunity for uh, you know, for all of us to get involved in, right? So I often talk about the confluence of, you know, the opportunity has to be there, the technology has to be there, and the people have to be ready for it, right? And seeing that confluence uh, around the world was a, was a big uh, uh, driver for me to get involved and start Monarch Tractor. So good. Do you feel that working on this is fundamentally different? Yeah. Do you feel a deeper sense of joy or fulfillment or excitement working on this than on building a faster boat or a faster car just for the sake of it? <laughs> um, on a day-to-day -day basis, most definitely, right? Because don't get me wrong, it's a very challenging journey as well. Um, so we, we do have to think about, you know, is it really, everything that we do, is it really going to make the farmer's life better, right, or not? We can't just do it for that, uh, you know, uh, 
transactional moment of joy, right? Uh, which a fast boat or a fast car might get you. So it is quite challenging from that perspective, but you know, over a week, when when there are some big challenges that you're facing, you you, you know, the true north and the value of the mission, I think definitely uh, keeps you going for much longer uh, than when you're working on a fast car or a fast boat. And you get to see how the ideas that you've had that you came up with when you actually implement them, you get to see how it literally changes somebody's life for the better. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's definitely the immediate value aspect of it, Ross, which I love, you know, in farming. And, you know, like I said, farming is one of those like very tangible things that you can actually do, which is why, I mean, you have a home garden, right? You know, it's a very um, bad one, (laughs) a terribly managed one, but I'm working on it. I'm trying to get better at it. (laughs) You know, there's a, there's a sense of like joy that comes from us, uh, you know, growing food or cooking and things like that. And that's something that all of us discovered during the pandemic is it's a very, it's a very base level of satisfaction, fulfillment, and joy, right? That the connection that each of us has to our food ecosystem. So just working on that, I think, is, has been immensely motivational. And that epiphany that, oh my God, yes, it's hard work, uh, but... You know, this is something that I can relate to. Uh, I think it's very intrinsic to all of us as human beings. Yeah, and there's something about, uh, I don't want to say primal instinct, but something that feels like our duty as a human to work on these things. And when we don't, we're missing something. And I can give you a very small example from my own life. So I recently went on a trip and I was in Europe, was traveling around for about a month. So I left this bad garden for a month completely untended to. A few months back, I planted some potato seeds. I got a little pack of potato seeds. I planted them. I completely forgot that I did it. I forgot to label it. I didn't even know they were there. I came back, and the garden was overrun with weeds and grass. So I had to dig everything up, and I spent yesterday afternoon trying to do that, just digging, digging, back-breaking stuff, as you know, digging, digging. And I started digging one section, and a little potato came out. And I dug a little more and 14, 15 little potatoes. I said, what is that? And then I remembered, oh, maybe I planted some potato seeds at some point. So in addition to getting the weeds out, I got a pretty good amount of potatoes out of the ground. And they looked amazing. They looked perfect. And so I threw them right into the oven right then and there. And yesterday for dinner, it was the most amazing potato you've ever eaten in your life. Delicious. Just perfect. And as simple and stupid as that is, there was something about it that felt so good, so primally good to have done that. And that's yeah. something that I think people maybe need to tap into a little bit more in general, just generally speaking. Absolutely, Ross. And what a fantastic story, right? And I think you're absolutely right. I like the way that you framed it. Is It's a primal instinct for all of us. You know, finding food and growing food is one of those things, right? So, and to, again have that connection between the effort that went in and having the fulfillment at the end, I think also closes a loop um, that is, that is very basic to human nature. And again, that's the reason why I think, but we have lost that, I believe, you know, and what's happened over the last like 60 to 70 years is we have managed to do two things. One, we have managed to increase the yield of our food ecosystem massively, but most of that came through, you know, uh, inordinate use of chemicals. Chemicals are good, but deliberate use. Instead, we kind of like sprayed chemicals to drive the food production up. Mm. And the second thing that's happened is we've gotten decoupled from our food ecosystem, right? 
the, the advantages of logistics and transportation and everything else is you can now get food year round from all over the world or you can store it in cold storage systems and get access to it. But we have lost that basic connection to where did this come from? I know where this was grown. I know when this was harvested and I know when I eat it, right? This is the stuff that went into it. Both those things have contributed to us losing our balance. And we need to find that. And we need to find that while increasing our food production because you know we all need to eat more, right? There's growing populations around the world. So I think those two elements means that people like yourself and myself and everybody else that's listening to this should really start thinking about how can we join this uh, big transformation that's happening in agriculture and farming. And there's an opportunity here too, right? <laughs> I think it's it's one of the largest and biggest opportunities that, that we're going to see in agriculture and farming over the last 50 years. Uh, so it's a great time for technologists to get involved. It's a great time for the next generation to get involved in food and farming. And I'm hoping that uh, hearing your story is going to incentivize more people to come and join the food ecosystem, join some ag tech companies and start making a difference to the farmers that are trying really hard to feed the world. I really hope so, too. And that touches on another point that I'm always interested in. How do we combat cynicism? Because if you subscribe to eco-friendly subreddits or communities, yep. every headline you read is bad, 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 horrible, bad, worse. How do you overcome cynicism if you have the belief that we're just screwed? <laughs> um, I think that comes down to basic uh, human nature. Uh, and there's always a yin and a yang. I see that as extremely motivational for us. It's always good to have somebody telling you that's not possible, at least for me. Right? And I'm like, oh, really? Okay. Like, let me look at it. <laughs> <Right>? yeah. <laughs> if you tell me it's doable, I'll be like, oh, cool. Right. Ah, if fine. you tell me it's not doable, <laughs> I'll be like, okay, hang on. I want to look at this again. Right. So I think it's actually a good thing to have a healthy amount of skepticism as society. If all of us were, you know, had kumbaya circles, I don't think we would be making progress. So, but at the same time, there, there has to be that healthy dose. Right. And it has to be constructive happy to talk about the challenges, happy to talk about how we can make our energy equation better, happy to talk about how we can make our tractor even more sustainable. You know, there are, it has batteries in it. You know, the, you know those things are not easy to mine. There's an e ecological impact, right? We need more solutions on that front. So there's a lot of other challenges, don't get me wrong. Happy to have a conversation about those. But having a constructive conversation is important. And for me, I think the cynicism is, is a powerful motivator. Like when I started off on this journey, everybody said, electric tractors, get out of here, right? <laughs> and even the big companies, right? And, and look, up, look at it, Ross, like how many electric tractors can you, can you name? One. Now. <laughs> Isn't Yours. that crazy? Like if I yeah. ask you to name the number of car companies that are building electric cars, right? Yeah. You could go on for a while. So why is it that, you know, so there, there was a fair amount of skepticism in the industry. So the way to combat it is we built it, we put it on the farm and we said, come and look at it. Right. So I think uh, that's what all of us um, uh, need to start doing. Completely agree. Do you feel that having a degree in mechanical engineering, because that's where your studies were, right? Mechanical engineering. Yeah. How important is that to somebody 
for just being able to implement an idea like this in any field? Yeah. Um, I mean, having scientific curiosity, I think, is more important than the degree itself. But that being said, the degree gave me a foundation um, of at least being able to put things into perspective. Don't get me wrong. At that time, I was kind of wondering, what the hell am I going to do with all this? Um, <laughs> uh, and I was hoping to apply it on some fast cars. But <laughs> that's, that's that's what made me like do my partial differential equations, right? I was like, you know, maybe I can figure out how to make the aerodynamics of a car better, and then I can make this thing go faster. So that, but it was that curiosity of how things work, I think is more important. And especially when it comes to our food scene or the food ecosystem or ag and farming, it's very much a mindset. It's very much that curiosity of knowledge and that continuous learning mindset and continuous improvement mindset that's more important. The science side of it, I'm super happy to see that a lot more people are coming into STEM, um, the, you know, the science and technology side of things. There was a time when, you know, if you were super smart, they would say go to Wall Street, and which I found like immensely uh, <laughs> uh, one-dimensional. Uh, the fact that some of our smartest talent is now coming to technology is a very powerful force. Now I want the smartest talent to come and work on our food and farming challenges. And for that, you could have a degree that's great in engineering, great. You might have a science degree, even better, right? If you have a life sciences degree, there's, there's a place for you in ag tech. I think there's a place for every skill set here. You, I mean, even a finance degree, right? Or even if you're from Wall Street and if you're looking at a career change, ag fintech, I think is going to have a huge uh, impact on our food ecosystem as well. So the engineering degree is important, but I don't think it's an end-all be-all. What if your only skill is being able to talk into a microphone? Is that uh, valuable or...? Just no. Oh, that's actually one of the most valuable skill sets that we all need, Ross. Is uh, <laughs> oh, okay. All right. We need the apostles to spread profile. the message, right? We need people <laughs> like you to highlight. That's an endorsement now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need people like you to highlight the opportunity. We need people like you to spread the message. So I think, like I said, you know, some of the ag podcasts really helped me understand the challenges that some of the farmers in different parts of the world were facing. Yeah. So. I was not kidding when I said there's a there's a role for everybody. So uh, maybe we can look at rebranding your podcast into some kind of an ag tech farming podcast next week. I do. <laughs> you know, I am very, very interested in it. I, the thought had crossed my mind. I thought, well, this is very fascinating. And it is something that I will be happy to continue yeah. talking about. There's no doubt about that. I, exactly. Because I love technology, but I love the positive side of technology. I think... I always loved technology as a kid, but then you see the matrix and that was the first indication that, Hey, maybe technology is not always going to be positive. And then I saw what Facebook did and what Mark Zuckerberg yeah. did. And that was the nail in the coffin. So that kind of made a lot of us feel that maybe this technology thing is not going to be that great. I, I mean, I remember when Mark Zuckerberg just straight out lied to all of us. It's like Facebook is for college students. Only people with the college.edu address can do it. So people are posting pictures of themselves partying and all that. And then the next week it says, hey, your mom joined Facebook. What? How? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's not for college kids anymore. We just opened that up. Yeah. You did, huh? Oh, we're selling all of your data, by the way. All of those pictures that you thought were private, they're not private. They're all sold. It's out there for yeah. And then you say, that feels kind of bad. <laughs> I wasn't super happy yeah. about that. 
But now we're maybe breaking through to another point where we say, okay, there are some real dangers of social media and the downside of technology, but still there are some real positive sides of technology. And that I do find to be endlessly fascinating. Every time technology solves a single problem, I find that to be endlessly fascinating still to this day, both terrifying and fascinating. Yeah. And and if, if there's one field that needs a huge influx of the technology, right, I think it's the farming and ag tech side. So that, that this is one place where we can make a positive dent. Um, and again, I'm glad uh, I'm glad that you brought up a couple of issues like data security, data privacy. Those are all the things that we need to pay tremendous attention to, right? Like imagine if the like we talked about food security, which means making sure that you have enough access to nutritional food. Uh, imagine the food data security side of it. Right. Yeah. So those are all elements that we need to be very cognizant about these days. And we can't have one company own all the data about where our food is coming from and what's happening on the farming ecosystem. Right. All the farmers and the consumers cannot be beholden to one data company that's owning every aspect of, yeah. of what you're about to buy at the grocery store. Right. Yeah. So those are all things that I think hopefully the world is a lot smarter and we will not allow that to happen, which is also why at Monarch, we believe in an open ecosystem. We encourage people to work on, hey, you know, build an app and get access to our data and use that data for the benefit of either the farmer or the consumer. So we're not trying to lock the data in and monetize it right by ourselves. We don't want anybody to be beholden to us. We actually want to open it up around the world. We have a licensing program at uh, at Monarch with some of the big tractor companies are now signing up for. And we're saying all of us should form an ecosystem here. And it can be one single company that dominates the landscape. So those are all good things that you talked about. I think I'm hoping that we learn from some of the technology missteps for the last decade or two. And we don't bring that into our food ecosystem. So I agree. And sneaking it in seems to be key. Because when you present these things as, like you said, a hard choice between A and B, it's tough. But when you tell a farmer, hey, would you rather be able to drive one tractor or seven at the same time? You sneak it in, and then suddenly you've reframed the question in a way that has a much more obvious answer. Whereas if you said electric or gas, then you bring in the whole gas lobby and all of these other forces. But if you can just sidestep that, (laughs) the political hornet's nest, and just get to what really matters, you can make some change. Exactly. How we frame it is totally important too, right? For the farmer. Hey, farmer, do you want to save money? Yes, no. It's an easy one. Hey, farmer, do you want to use less pesticides and fertilizers and all these things, right? And use more of the good kind? Because keep in mind, farming is a community-driven activity. If they're putting chemicals out there, guess who's getting exposed to it first? It's the farming communities, right? So yeah. they don't want to do this. That's Nobody horrible. wakes up in the morning and say, oh, I want to spray pesticides all day yeah. long, right? <laughs> Yeah, so Just you know, so framing <sighs> it properly and getting everybody to see the you know see that it's a win-win, I think is important, and that's what we try to do. So we don't frame it as um, you know just one or the other. So absolutely. Well, we're we're approaching the end of our hour, so I've got the the money question for you. The first question is: What is the most unusual piece of advice that you've ever received that you believe in? Unusual. <laughs> um, I think the the craziest one is definitely that, uh, you know, whatever you're thinking or whatever you think you know, right, is, is definitely not it. And you got to go through those 20 questions to learn that. 
And a lot of it comes down to that framing, Ross. The most, the, the incredible piece of advice that I got, which gave me a headache that first day when I talked to this person was, they said, you know, everybody thinks of breakfast as breakfast, but what makes breakfast breakfast, right? Like what defines that? Is there a certain way to think about it? I think what that framed it for me was it's not just about what it is, like what is breakfast? Like I can make an argument for almost anything, but how do we frame it for the population in such a way? And how do we frame it for each other in such a way that it's meaningful uh, is just as important as what it is, right? The concept of breakfast is just as important as what you eat for breakfast. Mm. So it's a very unusual way of looking at it. And it gave me a headache that first day of like, why is this guy talking about breakfast when I'm trying to talk to him about electric tractors, right? right. But he was trying to change my perspective on you need to think about this as something else, right? Don't don't try to frame it as uh, an electric tractor versus a diesel tractor, right? It's, it's something else. You need to figure out what that is. So, Wise words. That is a great, great one to wrap it up. I love that. Um, final word is to you in this episode. So the floor is yours. Anything you want to promote, anywhere you want to direct people's attention to, go ahead. Uh, again, we're at uh, Monarch Tractor. Check us out at monarchtractor.com. We're always looking for great talent to come and join our mission. So if you you know are even lightly curious about some of the things that Ross and I talked about today, check us out. Join the movement, right? Um, come and join the company if you can. Otherwise, even if you don't join Monarch Tractor, do pay more attention to our farmers' needs and see if you can join the ag tech scene. I'm telling you that for the next decade, uh, ag farming is going to undergo a huge transformation and you get to play a role in that. Um, so I encourage everybody to come and join that movement in ag tech and food and farming. So again, Ross, thanks a lot for giving me the opportunity and the stage. No, thank you. I, the thanks are all due from me to you. I think your mission and product is just beyond belief. Cool. I cannot wait to uh, see one of these things in per person one of these days. I think it's just spectacular. And congratulations for doing this, and I support you. Again, really thanks a lot, Russ. Yeah. So with that, the official podcast is over. over.